Guys, we're doing a series on prayer, and uh, I'm convinced that prayer is such an underutilized piece of our walk with Jesus. We're going to be in Philippians 4, um, and tonight, Logan talked last week about prayer a little bit, and tonight we're going to talk about prayer and worry, prayer and panic, prayer and anxiety. What does God have to say about the biggest things all the way down to the smallest things? Um, Worry is a funny thing because worry is something that you're not until you are and it can be completely in your head and nothing has changed externally, right? Like you just sat down, excuse me, you just sat down trusting, not worrying that the pew that you're sitting in, the seat that you're sitting in was going to work. And now that you're thinking about it, you're a little worried. Somebody in here is a little worried that that seat is not going to work the way that it should. But uh, I can think of a couple times that I was legitimately worried. Um, one of the times that I was like, this is, this is how it ends. Um, I, was, uh, I had gotten my first real job at a bank uh, here in Springfield uh, post-college uh, that transition time, so I was like, I was working uh, all week, Monday through Wednesday. I, it was Thanksgiving week, so Thanksgiving day I had off, but I worked uh, Friday. Low man on the totem pole, had to be back for work on Friday. So I didn't want to miss Thanksgiving. All my family was in St. Louis. So like, I'm going to drive to uh, Thanksgiving with my family in St. Louis. And as I was driving back that night, um, I remember getting sick, and I don't remember what it was that I ate Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, I don't know if it was, you know, turkey, stuffing, whatever it was, but something got me sick, and I was just, my stomach hurt, and I was driving, and I was like, man, this, this isn't good. And uh, I, I, was, I remember the moment, like, very vividly. I remember where I was on Highway 44, but I was passing someone, and all of a sudden I was like, you're going to throw up, and you're going to throw up soon, like real soon. And I was like, I don't, I'm passing someone, like, I can't just pull over, and I, I just, I grabbed a plastic bag, and I held it and hold onto the steering wheel. And I'm, I, I, I'm, a, I'm like, I got a situation where I'm holding stuff, nothing's working. And I'm like, this is how I die. This is how I get, I, I just pass away on 44 and there's just gonna be some vomit and blood and they're not gonna know what happened at all. And, and, and Lord saved me and got through, we're, we're doing okay. But I think sometimes we, we have these parachute prayers of like, we fell out of the plane and we don't know what else to do, so we're gonna pray because there's nothing else that could save us at this point. And then I think that we, we kind of live between that and kind of the middle somewhere where we like, we know that God can help some of these things, uh, but it's a small problem until, until it's not a small problem anymore. Um, I, I have young kids, they're all right over here, Thatcher, Jetson, and Riggins, and they're five, three, and one. They're sweet and cute as can be until you try to put them in a car seat and try to, to have them do what they don't want to do. And it could be anything. And it, it's so funny to see how, like, Jetson especially right now is, like, independent. He's doing things on his own. He's not going to let you help him, and he's doing it. And especially the car seat. He can put his seatbelt on about 95% of the time, and he's doing it, and he's doing it, and you see the, he's worried, he's panicked, he can't figure it out, and all of a sudden, he screams out, Dad, I need help! And it's, it goes from, Dad, I can do it, to panic. I mean, it seems like, like moment to moment, but what you see is the worry start to grow in his face. I can't do it. I don't know what's going to happen. Or sometimes you go, oh man, he's doing so good at this. I'm going to go ahead and back out of the driveway. We live in a pretty quiet neighborhood. And then it's panic. Dad, the car's moving. I don't have my seatbelt. Like, you see the panic. You see the worry. You see the anxiety rise. And what's interesting about worry and anxiety and panic is that all of those things are connected to what we care about. You might be sitting here and you're like, man, I hate the way that I worry. I hate the way that I have anxiety. Some of the things that we worry about and have anxiety about, they matter to us, right? Like, if it doesn't matter to you, 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 don't, you don't worry about it. I always laugh at this, this analogy, but y'all didn't wake up this morning going, man, I, I really am worried that Jared is going to do, do a good job tonight. Maybe y'all were worried about that. 
But I was, because I was the one who had to stand up here and y'all just get to sit there. Like I was worried about it this morning when I woke up. I had some stuff to think about. Why? Because the things that we worry about are connected to the things that we care about. And some of y'all have some legitimate worries. Like there are things that we worry about that you're like, man, now that I think about it, I haven't checked my tires in a while. Now that I think about it, there's so much that we have that we worry about. And some of it is good worry. Like I talked about safety with my kids. We, We want them to be safe, but that good worry can go to a place of unhealthiness, right? You can worry about a good thing until it's, it's an obsession. It's all you care about. It's all you think about. Man, I just think about my kids' safety so much that I'm not going to do anything else. I'm going to try to protect them, bubble wrap their lives until they can't do anything else, and I want to make sure they're safe. We see it in that analogy, but, but we take it through to everything else in our life, to money. This is such a clear analogy because when there's not enough, you know there's not enough. And you know that it's connected to the things that you care about. And sometimes there's an underlying root of, man, if I run out of money, if I have a problem, I'm going to have to call dad. I'm going to have to call mom. I'm going to have to take out a loan. And it's going to be a shot at my pride. Maybe that's the thing that we care about. Maybe it's going to be I'm not presented to the people that I care about in the way that I want to be presented. So that's what I care about the deepest. Some of us let the, the, the email from a boss, an email from a professor, hey, let me talk to you on Monday morning. Man, that lives in your head all weekend and you don't have an enjoyable weekend. Why? Because you're worried about that meeting on Monday morning. You're worried about that meeting with that professor, with that teacher. And now it's all you think about. It's worry. It lives in your head. That text that you sent, that maybe you're like, oh, this is going to be funny. Or maybe I'm going to uh, shoot my shot. And you shot that shot and it, it, it didn't hit the goal because you didn't get a response. And you're worried about what you said. Did you say it the wrong way? Did something happen? Did I have the wrong number? Like what in the world is happening because I didn't get the response? That's worry. That's something that we live because we care about those things. Money, news, what you see in the news, what's going on all over the world. We're more connected now than ever. And if we can live on our phone and see everything that's going on, sometimes all that is is a conduit of worry. But it's connected to the things that we care about, your social life, your romantic life, your health, your family, and some of you have some legitimate things that cause anxiety and worry inside of you that are connected to pain and trauma from your past. Our worry is connected to the things that we care about. It's not something that we can take lightly, but I do wonder what is it that God has to say about it and what's the role that prayer lives in it. So what do we do? I want you to look at Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. And if you've never read this before, this is like the standard. This is what you read when it comes to anxiety. This is what you read when it comes to prayer, all these things. But this is what Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7 say. It says, do not be anxious about anything. And you read that, and if you're an anxious person, you go, thanks for the advice. That's really helpful. I will just go ahead and not be anxious about anything Thank you. That's all I needed today. Let's wrap it up and have Jake. Cut. No, you hear that and you're like, don't be anxious about anything. Okay, that's, it sounds nice. And I looked up the original languages that this was written in. And the word anxious means worried. And the word anything means all. Like there's no deeper meaning to these words besides what you see on the page. Don't be anxious about anything. And you read that and you go, okay, you you say that, but you don't deal with the anxiety that I do. You don't have the worries. You don't have the legitimate money problems. You don't have the family that I came from. You don't know the legitimate things that I have, that I have to hold, that weigh on my shoulders, that no one else knows about. I'm the one who has to wear them. So I need to be anxious about some things. 
But in this idea of don't be anxious about anything, you, what you see is that this is God's heart for you as much as it is a command. God's heart for you is not that you would be anxious about anything. And what's funny about this is that the idea of anything is like, okay, that's, that, that's almost too all-encompassing. But so is my idea of what I can worry about. I can worry about anything. If you sow the seed of worry in my mind, I can take it to where it needs to go so that it fulfills all of my thoughts. And I'm sure it can for you too. Whether it's, it's rooted in reality, in logic and truth or not, it can be a reality for you. If you're the one who's dealing with the anxiety, that's dealing with the worry, that's dealing with that pressure, it feels real to you. So what God says to us here is don't be anxious about anything. So whatever it is that you walked in with tonight that you are anxious about, while it still might be a problem when you leave here, God does not want you to be carrying that anxiety on your shoulders. This is God's heart for you. This is God's heart for you in Matthew 6, 25. Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount. We'll look at that a little deeper later. But he says, hey, don't be anxious for anything. He uses kind of the same term. And in Joshua, when, when, when Moses dies and takes over, Joshua takes over for Moses, I mean, he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't hear from God like Moses does. And he keeps telling him, hey, be courageous. Don't fear. And I can only imagine sitting in that time and saying, I'm going to be in charge of a million people wandering in the desert. I don't know where to go. Like, what? Don't be anxious. Don't fear. I have legitimate things that I should fear. But God's heart for you is that you don't fear. Don't be anxious about anything. And, and this kind of brings up one of the most annoying phrases of like, hey, don't worry about it. Hey, you don't get to decide what I get to worry about. Can I just tell you that? Don't tell me don't worry about it. I can, I can worry about it. That's the American side of me that's like, don't tell me what to do. If you want to tell me not to worry about it, I'm going to worry about it. And people say, it's nothing. Well, it is something to you. Anything is all. All of the things that you worry about, big and small. The things that feel like, man, I didn't get accepted into this, into this program. It's decided. It's done. It's wrapped up with a bow and things can't change it. All the way to like, man, it's fluid and it's a, it's a changing situation. There are emotions and thoughts involved. All of it, the concrete things and the fluid things, the things that deal with people and the things that deal with plans, the things that deal with trips and the things that deal with trauma, the things that are big and the things that are small, it all fits under this umbrella of anything. And I feel like I'm belaboring the point, but I feel like you need to understand that God does not want you to have anxiety or worry about anything. Nothing. Because as I was doing my prep today, I was, I was sitting in one of the rooms, and I looked up, and on the whiteboard, uh, there's a, a Sunday school class, a, a community group that meets in that room, and uh, it's the men's class, and there, there's probably, I don't know, 25 guys that meet in that class, and the list of things that they had written on the board, they had names, and they had things like their, someone in their family was going through a divorce, they had someone who was looking for work, they had someone who was dealing with a tough situation at home, they had people that... I mean, all the, the whole spectrum of things that, man, I, w I want to, to serve God better. I want to do so many different things. That it was like, man, that, that is what community is built for, is praying for each other and being with each other. God doesn't want you to be walking around with one or two things on your back that you haven't told anyone about, you haven't talked to him about. So I ended up walking around the building and just reading all the different prayer requests that sit on the, on the walls of this building, and it's so incredible to see 
the spectrum of things, the difficulty, seeing the names and knowing some of those people and knowing what they're going through, and then seeing some of the names and saying, I don't know who that is, and I don't know what that thing is that seems really small, but it's real. It's part of anything. So we pray for it. We talk about it. So this is what he said. Well, that's what we do. Don't be anxious about anything. But it says, how do we pray? So what's it, what does it say next? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So there's anything in the first part of that verse. In the second part of that verse is Everything, anything, in everything, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, which we'll get to that word in just a minute. Let your requests be made known to God. What's he doing there? He is belaboring the point. He's driving it home. What do you do when you have worry and anxiety? You pray. Supplicate means you just tell, and you let your requests be made known to God. What do you do? You tell him. You tell him, and you tell him. When you are worried about something, it doesn't matter if it's real, it doesn't matter if it's rooted in reality, it doesn't matter if it's even true. If you are worried about it, what God's word says is to, hey, tell me, tell me, tell me. Pray to him and tell him. And one of my favorite things about this is that it says, let your requests be made known to God. The idea there is not this pretty, like, it's this kind of, like, moment where you've gone into your, your, your prayer closet and you've got, you've got your Bible there and you've got your prayer journal and you've got everything figured out. The idea of letting your requests be made known to God is almost just, like, let the words fall out of your mouth. Like, it doesn't have to be clean. It doesn't have to be well thought. It doesn't have to make sense to anyone else in the world. God already knows your heart. He knows where you're coming from. He knows what you're walking through. But I think it's an act of humility to say, God, I'm telling you because you are the one who holds everything in your hand and I'm going to hand it to you because my natural sin state is that I want to hold on to it and I want to fix it. And if I can't fix it, then maybe I offer it to God. But what he's arguing here is that if anything is a seed of anxiety or worry, we hand it to God right away. And reading through this this week, it was so interesting to just, if, if anything bothered me, and I wasn't perfect about it, I'd just pray about it. God, I, I have this meeting and I don't know what it's going to be. God, I'm tired and I don't want to go home and wrestle three kids. God, I, I don't have the energy for this moment and I don't, I don't know what it's going to look like. And God, I have this thing on my calendar and I don't know what this person wants. I don't know what this person needs. I don't, I don't think I'm capable of having this conversation, but God, I'm, I'm in the meeting, so I'm, I'm going to do it. Like, none of these prayers were clean and none of these prayers were, were, were well thought out, but it was a concern that was brought up to God. I was laughing right before, uh, right before the service, Jordan Mason, who's helping me put my mic on, we were doing all this stuff, and I was talking to Jordan. Jordan's getting, getting married next week. Way to go, Jordan. Um, but, yeah, um, but, Jordan was helping me put my mic on, and my son Thatch was there, the five-year-old, and I was talking to Jordan, and Thatch goes, hey, Dad, I'm itchy right here. I was like, cool, bro. Like, is there something you need me to do? No, just letting you know. And I was like, oh, okay, can I keep talking? To yeah, you're good. And in the moment, I was like frustrated because I was like, bro, you're interrupting me. And then I was like, this is how God wants us to pray. He doesn't care if, if, man, God's doing so much big stuff in the world. He deals with people with big vision, and I'm in my freshman year in, in college, so my problems aren't nearly that big. But God sits there and goes, if that's a problem, is it real? Is it part of anything? Is it part of everything? And is it bothering you? Then I want to hear about it. And he's so much of a better father that he sits there and wants to, wow, that's a, pro yeah, 
I'm your good father. I want to hear those things. God doesn't listen to you and go, that's your deal. That's your problem, really. And he doesn't beat your brow about it. He listens. And while God might not always answer the exact way that we want, what we see in the rest of this verse is the greatest trade that I think we'll ever get, that we bring our concerns, we bring our anxiety, we bring our problems. And look at verse 7. It says, let your requests be made known to God. Let the words fall out of your mouth in an ugly way. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is one of the most unbelievable trades, probably beyond our salvation, that we hand Jesus our sin and he hands us relationship with him that we could not get on our own. He hands us peace when we hand him our worries. And there have been times, I can tell you, that I did not do this perfectly, but there are times And I've seen it. I've seen it in people that have legitimate worries, things that have happened in their life that are tragic. And it it doesn't mean that everything's okay, but it means that they have a peace of God that transcends all understanding. And it's a protected peace. It says it's protected in your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's guarded. That... I know some of, you are, some of you are going to be on all ends of the spectrum. Some of you are like, I'm a mild worrier. I don't really have that many big problems. And some of you are like, man, I, I struggle with, with full onset anxiety as a disorder, as clinical. Like, we're going to see all of it. But I think that there's a piece of this to, hey, what if we took anything that we were dealing with, worrying about, had anxiety about, even if it was just the piece of, of giving God your schedule like I was talking about, and you just told God, hey, this is a piece of what I'm worried about. I don't know why I'm worried about it. It doesn't make any sense, but I'm worried about it. So I'm asking you if you would give me peace about it. God, would you help me? It's an unbelievable trade. Protected. Regardless of the way that our situation lands, we can have peace. That means when things don't go our way, we can still have peace. That means when things go sideways, we can still have peace peace. I want to show you in Psalm 13. Psalm 13, David wrote this, and it's a piece of, I love the Psalms because Psalms are just, David's just writing his his thoughts and his his journal out to God, and what's crazy is like, I don't know if God was looking at everybody's journals in the world when the Bible was being made, and he was like, David, you're the guy whose thoughts are going to go into the Bible, and everybody's going to read them, and I'm, I'm glad it's not mine, but what you get to see here is David cry out to God, and what happened, so I want to read that with you. Look at this first line. He says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Drama, anybody. Like, he is upset. He doesn't think that God remembers his name. He doesn't think that he's important to God. So he says, God, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul? Everything depends on me and have sorrow in my heart all day long. I mean, there's some drama here, but there's probably some pain and there's probably some worry and there's probably some anxiety. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? He says, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I've prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. And listen to where this shifts. Look at the way that this kind of just pivots. In the middle of his prayer journal, look at the way that this changes. At the beginning he said, how long will you forget me forever? In the end he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. 
My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. See, this is a peace that transcends all understanding. This is a peace that is practiced. This is a peace where we don't know what David was talking about here. We know he was upset. We know he wasn't happy about something. We know he thought that God abandoned him. We know that he was probably worried about how things were going. And, but what we know is that he didn't take it to, all right, I gotta figure out this situation because obviously something's wrong. He took it to, okay, God, I'm gonna ask you and you alone what my problem is. God, you know me intimately better than anyone ever could or ever would. So I'm going to bring my problems to you and look at how his perspective shifts. I want you, so, so that's what we do. That's how we pray. That's what does God do. He gives us this great trade. And I just, I think there's a little more to this piece it, that Maybe you're here and you're saying, I deal with anxiety and I deal with all these things and I've tried to give these things to God and I think we have to understand the context of where this verse is living in and do it as well. So look at Philippians 4 verse 4, just two verses before we started. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. There's a piece of this that as he prefaces, hey, this is how you deal with your worry, one of the things that he's telling these people that Paul's telling the Philippian church is like, hey, you need to be continually rejoicing. Enough that he says it twice. And what does that mean? He says rejoice, celebrate, be glad, like know and remember. And it says in the Lord. We don't just celebrate to celebrate. We celebrate because God has done great things for us and in us and God is good. And he's the source of all good and all hope. And he wants a relationship with us. So we have to look at our hope. We have to look at where we're living and go, okay, everything may not be where I want it to be. But even how David said, I will sing to the Lord. We have to choose to worship even when we still worry. I think sometimes we're waiting for, okay, I'm going to wait till all that worry kind of washes away, and then I'll worship, and then I'll rejoice, and then I'll remember God. But what he's saying here is, hey, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. And he says, in case you forgot, I'm going to write it again. Again, I say it, rejoice. Do you have a pattern of celebrating what God's done in your heart and in your life? Even if you just took it at the very basic, what God is willing to do in your heart and in your life, that he has taken you from a place of spiritual death and because of Jesus' good work on the cross, dying in our place where we deserved it, we have life in him. What if you rehearsed that to yourself? God, thank you for that. God, I want to celebrate that you've done that for me. Thank you. I can already feel in times that I've done that, it reorients my heart. The same way it reoriented David's heart. And then in verse 5, he says, let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. What he's saying here is let your reasonableness be made known to the people that surround you. This is what I believe he's saying is don't let your emotions, don't let the extremes of your thoughts, your feelings, and your emotions be what defines you. Don't let the highs of your thoughts and the lows of your feelings be what rules over you. Because sometimes I think we look and go, God, why am I worried about so much? It's because we've let 5 and 10% of our ups and our downs define everything that we are. And this is where I feel community really fits in and helps us with this. Sometimes I've taken a worry to someone, and even vocalizing the worry to someone makes me understand how ridiculous my worry was. 
In Galatians, Paul writes and he says, we should carry each other's burdens. We're not letting the church do what the church is designed to do if we don't share our burdens with each other. And here we are being defined by the emotional ends of the spectrum. In all reality, they're real. We can't decline what those are, but we can't let them define us. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. In the end of that verse, he says, the Lord is at hand. Why is this important? Why is it important that we just don't let our emotions be sit in the driver's seat? It's because God is coming. It's because God has a plan for your life, and it's that he sits in the driver's seat. It's that he's the Lord of your life. He's at hand. The time that we have is short. We don't know if we have 21 years or 81 years. I hope you all have 81 years, but what we do know is that the Lord is at hand. So I don't want to get to 81 and realize, man, what has been defining my life is my thoughts and feelings. What I want my life to be defined by is walking and following with God day after day, saying, God, I'm worried about this thing and I don't know what to do about it. And watching that transaction happen of my worries and his peace. So he says that, he says the Lord is at hand, and then he, he says what we already read. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then I want you to read verse 8 and 9. In verse 8 and 9, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Some of us wonder why we're thinking about worrying so much and anxiety when what he's telling us is, he's not just saying, hey, think about decent things. He's saying, think about the person who is the source of all goodness, who is the source of all excellence, who is the source of all what is honorable and just. He's saying, think about Jesus. Set your mind on these things because it's the most important. I believe that we need to have an anchor in our storm. And that anchor needs to be rooted in a lot of things. I mentioned community. Community helps us understand what God's word says when all of our life kind of goes sideways and we don't know what's going on. Community helps us be anchored to, to God's word when we don't know how. Community helps us know what, what, what God's word says and helps us pray when we don't have the faith. But we need to be anchored to God's word. We need to be anchored to the person of Jesus in John, it talks about abiding with Christ. What we're abiding with is not just kind of thinking about it sometimes. It's our source of life. It's what gives us hope. It's what gives us meaning to think about these things. Then in verse 9, he says, What have you learned and received and heard and seen in me? Practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. He says, think about these things and practice these things. Some of this is going to be Practice and thought. Thought and practice. Something that may not always come natural to you are things that you need to think about and practice. What will come natural to you is worry. What can come natural to you is anxiety. But what Paul is arguing for here is that when you root and anchor your heart and your life in the practice and in the thoughts of who God is, the God of peace will be with you. I want you to look at one more thing. We, I referenced it at the very beginning, but Matthew 6, 25 is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking about not to be anxious about anything. And it's, again, one of those things where you're like, okay, Jesus, like, you said it, but, like, 
How do you go and do it? And I just want to read this so you can see. What is God's heart for you? What are those anchor points that I need to have when things are good so that when things are bad, I know where my hope is? And this is what he says in uh, Matthew 6, 25. He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, about what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He's telling them like, Hey, you you can attain all of the things that this life has to offer. But isn't life more than that? Like, one of my favorite books in the Bible is Ecclesiastes. And the author is someone who says, I didn't deny myself anything. I had everything I could ever want. And it all still felt meaningless. He said, life still felt like I was trying to catch the wind and it didn't make any sense. And Jesus here is saying, isn't life more than what we worry about. And then he gives them two points of reference. And I think these are two anchor points that he wants us to consider. He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather in barns. And the equivalent is like, they they had no retirement. They didn't know what was coming next. They didn't know where their next meal was coming from. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. He's reframing the, the idea from, hey, I'm so capable that I built a barn and filled it with everything that's gonna help me walk into a retirement. He says, no, what you need to know is that your heavenly father feeds them. It's a better plan than a 401k. It's a better plan than retirement savings. Should we be wise? Absolutely. But it's not where we put our hope. It's not where we put our worry. He says, your father feeds them. He says, are you not of more value than they? I mean, think about how many birds you see that just don't matter. And he says, in which You, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. There's a piece of this where he's adding some logic and some anchor points to what we think whenever we're worrying about the situation. Then he says, consider, he says, why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. They don't work. They don't build for themselves. They don't do anything of what we consider real value. But he says, yet I tell you, even Solomon, who was probably considered one of the richest and wisest people to ever live, he says, in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if if God, listen to this, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? I mean, the idea here is that God loves you so much. He's going to give you what you need, maybe not in the, in the way that you want it, but he's going to give you what, you what you need, and mainly in our relationship with him for all of eternity. And the next phrase is what gets me. He says, oh, you of little faith. What Jesus is connecting here is this idea that anxiety is rooted to our faith. And I read that and I was like, that seems out of place. Did Jesus really mean to start giving some practical anchor points of like, okay, how do I, okay, I know God loves the birds and he loves flowers and he makes them everything that they need to be. So surely he loves me. But then he makes this little connecting phrase and he says, oh, you of little faith. Why? Because it takes faith to believe that God is going to do what he said he was going to do. 
He says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? He says, for the Gentiles, the people that don't know me, seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need all of them. And then he reframes the statement again. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What I think about in this moment is when we read through Philippians, Paul is sitting in a Roman jail cell, not knowing if he'll ever get out. And he's ending his phrasing to them going, hey, don't be anxious about anything, thinking he could die the next day. If you flip back just a little bit, there was a guy that Paul was connected to named Stephen who was just kind of a worker in the church with the early church and making sure that things happened and the kind of the administration. And he was just telling people about Jesus and people didn't like what he was saying so they started killing him in the moment, hitting him with rocks. And in the moment, he starts just looking up to the heavens and it says that there was a light on his face and he starts just saying, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And it's almost the same thing that Jesus said. And it's like, why is he able to say the things that Jesus said in these moments? Why? Because he was putting the kingdom first. I think sometimes we're convinced, okay, when I can fix this problem that I'm worried about, then I'll go and I'll do great things for the kingdom of God. When he says, no, consider it first. It's not when everything gets out of the way, it's a priority. Is God's kingdom first for you? And then he says, seek the kingdom first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We like to think that we hold so much power in what happens in our schedule, in our finances, in our community, in the people that we're around, but ultimately, it's God. I want to tell you a story about a man named George Mueller. George Mueller was alive almost the entire uh, 19th century. He was alive from 1805 to 1898, and he lived in Bristol, England. And he had four missionary uh, endeavors that he went on, but what he was mostly known for were a series of orphanages that he and his wife helped run and organize. And I want to read you a little bit about, about him. It says, during his time in England, when most orphans lived in miserable workhouses or on the streets, Mueller took them in, fed them, clothed them, and educated them. Through his orphanage in Bristol, Mueller cared for as many as 2,000 orphans at a time, more than 10,000 in his lifetime. Yet he never made the needs of his ministries known to anyone except to God in prayer. Like, if y'all were going to go be missionaries, we would not prescribe you the George Mueller way of raising funds. It, It doesn't seem wise. It says, only through his annual reports did people learn that the fact that the needs had been so bad during the previous year and how God had provided. I want to read you a story. It says, one morning all the plates and cups and bowls on the table were empty. There was no food in the pantry, no money to buy food, and the children were standing waiting for their morning meal. When Mueller said, children, you know we must be ready in time for school. Then lifting up his hands, he prayed, dear father, we thank thee for what thou art going to give us to eat. And there was a knock at the door. The baker stood there and said, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt you didn't have bread for breakfast and the Lord wanted me to send you some. So I got up at 2 a.m. and baked some fresh bread. And I brought it for you. George didn't pray till morning. That doesn't make sense. Mr. Mueller thanked the baker. 
And no sooner had he left, there was a second knock at the door. It was the milkman. And he announced that his milk cart had broken down right in front of the orphanage. God holds all things in his hands, even the wheels of a milk cart. And he announced that his milk cart had broken down right in front of the orphanage and that he would like to give the children his cans of fresh milk so he could empty it and repair it. Mueller had over 50,000 specific recorded answers to prayers in his journals. 50,000. 30,000 of which he said were answered the same day or the same hour that he prayed them. And this article that I read said, think about it. That's 500 a year that he was in ministry. That's once a day that he was writing something out, asking God, God, we don't know what this is gonna look like. And God answered it. That is a life of faith. That is a life of prayer. That means he was probably praying about the spectrum of things. He was probably praying about the little things that we would have gone, oh, that's just an easy answered prayer. But also the big things when there's no food on the table. And one of my favorite things about it, George Mueller said that he struggled to pray his first 10 years of being a believer. He said he would wake up and he wouldn't do anything but pray when he first started the day. And he would get on his knees and pray and he would hope that things would go well and he'd pray. And he was like, it always felt like my mind would go one way or another and it wasn't really clear. Like I was only after, I was praying for an hour, but I was only really getting like 15 minutes of really good time with God in. And and he said, but it's not like that anymore. He said after about 10 years, he started to just change his prayer to a very conversational prayer with God where he just told him everything. He didn't get on his knees the same way. He still got on his knees, but he also prayed throughout the day. God, this is gonna happen and I don't know what to do. God, this is what's going on in my heart and my life and I don't know what's gonna happen. God, this is what's happening with our orphanage and I don't know what to do. The thing that changed was he just started making his requests known to God. He just let the words fall out of his mouth and God heard. And I think about this person that has this life of big hope and big faith and big vision and there's been books written about him and all these things and he calls his life, he called it a life of faith. Not because of what he did, but because of the goodness of God. So why wouldn't he have more faith in him? Do you have faith that God is holding everything in his hands, including whatever it is that you're worried about? And like a good father, he knows what's best for you. Even when we don't see on the other side of it, he sees and he knows what's best for us. Will you bow your heads?